Hey guys, I am uh, here in San Francisco in the Autodesk Gallery uh, for a new interview and we're going to speak here with Mickey McManus and he is a very brilliant man so I'm extremely happy that he's willing to make some time for the talk. Uh, Mickey had his own company called Maya Design, he used to be CEO after that uh, chairman and he recently sold it to a Boston Consulting Group but we're here at Autodesk because he's been here now for three and a half years as a research fellow and he's thinking about how the future of Autodesk could look like not in two years or three years, but in the next 100 years. And he always says he's doing R&D, but that doesn't mean research and development. He says it's risk and determinism. And they want to shape the future, and they're trying to do that in a fantastic way. So I'm very happy that he's making some time for us. So let's go inside. So I'm here with uh, Mickey McManus. And, um, you know, Mickey, that I'm working on my new book, yeah. Customer's Day After Tomorrow, and I would like to have your thoughts on uh, mm. some of the items that I've been working on. Mm. But it would be great maybe if you could tell us a little bit about your research and the work that you're doing here at uh, Autodesk. You bet. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, uh, a few years ago, I wrote a book called Trillions, mm -hmm. and that was really about this big mega trend that was the connected everything. You know, it was sort of, people today call it the Internet of Things. but mm -hmm. The real topic was sort of pervasive computing. It's going to get out of a desktop where we think of all of our information as in the thing, mm -hmm. the, the PC or in your phone, your supercomputer in your pocket. You look in and you see the folders, and, or you look under your phone and you see your apps. The information's in that phone. Right. And um, what happens when we get out of, into the world mm -hmm. and when suddenly it's pervading everything and it's trillions of these things, and they're not a trillion of the same thing, it's a trillion a trillion things that have a bad update, a trillion things that are sending a billion messages. We're basically shipping, shifting from information in computers to us living in the information. Okay. That was a big um, effort uh, to do because we really wanted to understand what must be true. Mm -hmm. Not just let's get lucky, hope, hope things work out, but what must be true in ultra complex, almost unboundedly complex, and maybe malignant systems. And so I, I think one of the important uh, uh, I think discoveries in, in this is that nature has a lot to teach us mm -hmm. in, uh, in sort of understanding almost biomimicry for these information systems. Right. Your body has 50 trillion cells. Mm -hmm. You go 70, 80, 100 years without a catastrophic failure. You are incredibly resilient. Could we build resilient companies? Could we build resilient products? Mm -hmm. And um, when I joined Autodesk as a visiting fellow, I thought this big megatrend, the inf like a sea of information devices, was was going to be something I'd pursue for the rest of my life. And then I got here and I discovered, wait, not only is it a sea of information devices, there's another megatrend, which is the boundary between bits and atoms, mm -hmm. like what you could do as a software update and what you could actually decide to 3D print as a hardware update when something goes wrong, is suddenly lowering. It's, it's getting more, more liquid and we can almost do arbitrage between bits and atoms. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Tesla had a road strike a few years ago where they were hit underground, under, underneath the car, a car was hit in the Northwest, and it hit the battery compartment in a bad way and burst into flames. The next morning, all the Teslas rode a little higher, you know, so you could do a software update. But of course, what you really want to do is a hardware update. You know, you need to go put maybe some protective shield or rearrange things. Used to be you'd have to warehouse things, you'd have to manufacture that. Now I could go, oh cool, I'll design a new one and I'll 3D print it out of metal and I'll ship it. So there's no warehouse. And so, so this digital manufacturing is radically changing things. Everything from robotic to automation and, and uh, additive manufacturing. But as I started looking at this other big megatrend, I said, okay, great. So we've got a sea of information devices. 
we've got the ability for them to request hardware and software updates. Wait a second, request? Yeah, well, it turns out if you have a trillion connected smart things, probably they're going to start having opinions of their own. And that's the other megatrend, which is machine learning. Wait a second, whatever's in Moore's Law, Moore's Law says that whatever's in like a self-driving car today is in your shoes tomorrow. So it's just going to be out there and, and these things are going to have sensors, they're going to have machine learning algorithms running, and they're going to actually be able to do A-B tests out in the world and grow oh, to no. be a better product. So the, the big idea was, wait, this isn't a sea of information device. This is like a primordial soup. It's oozing and churning and it's ready. These big megatrends are not independent. Lightning is going to strike and suddenly something new is going to come out. And I think the nature of things is going to change. Okay. So that's kind of my okay. research at the moment. And the nature of things is going to change. Yeah. Um, what's the impact for companies? Well, so um, I used to be a product designer. Mm -hmm. And you would design, you would try to do customer research. You'd go out and shadow and you'd see how people used a product. And then you would come back and you would design this beautiful thing. And then you would ship it. It might be wonderful. Maybe you didn't catch it the right moment. Maybe you didn't do enough money on marketing. And then it, did, it didn't sell. Or maybe it sold okay, but you ended up with a lot of returns. Right. Because people couldn't quite understand it. But the thing that happened is I spent all my time building in the, uh, the nature of thing. I built the DNA of this product. Mm -hmm. And then I shipped it and it went like, uh, uh, and it was dead. No it never this. called me back. Yeah. It never told me about its best day ever. Mm -hmm. um, the chair never told me about the best conference it ever had or how it helped people. The, the wall never, you know, nothing ever sent me a letter back to say how it worked. And so the best I could do is, oh, let's have a focus group. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. Focus groups are like discredited. They don't even work, yeah. you know, or, or go out and try to shadow. Uh, okay, but we're trying to ship hundreds of thousands or millions of products. Yeah. So, um, so that's what it is. We spent all our time on nature and then we never actually benefited from the nurturing that was happening out in the world. The product is shaping is, yeah. and is being shaped by how it's used out there, just like nature. Mm -hmm. So when I say the nature of things is changing, I think if you are a manufacturer of any physical product, mm -hmm. you suddenly have the ability to learn from the product. The product could be on your design team, basically. And it could be the species of all of those, you know, every member of that species of product, all reporting back. And so you could suddenly start actually learning from what's out there. And, you know, when I say nurture, think about a, a fine wine. Mm -hmm. So this is a fine wine. It comes from the beautiful hills of a particular section of Europe. The DNA is the same in the grape mm -hmm. as a wine I might plant in the inner city of my hometown, Chicago. But um, which one is going to have more economic value? The one I plant in my hometown of Chicago and try to grow a wine mm -hmm. or the one I plant on the beautiful fields and the hills in Europe? I'm going to say the one there. Not because it had any different design, but because it has the earthworms and it has the wind and the rain and it's shaped economically yeah. by nature and nurture and how it's growing. So what if we could do that with all of products? Fantastic. But I find an interesting paradox. You've talked mm. about this complex world. Like complexity yeah. is increasing yeah. like, like crazy for, for companies and for the world. On the other hand, if, if I look at my field, customer experience, mm. I see that there is a bigger potential than ever before to make life of customers easier mm. thanks to mm -hmm. the megatrends. If you look yeah. at AI, machine learning, yeah. uh, IoT, data, have the potential to I mean, do proactive customer service, do more personalized yeah, yeah, relations yeah. and make it more effortless than ever. 
How do you see that paradox? Uh, well, this is a great, I, I think that's a great question because this paradox is actually where, if everybody saw the paradox and if everybody reacted the same, there would be no strategic separation between you and your competitor. Yeah, exactly. So here's a great opportunity for people to basically, as an organization, to say, it will be a malignant, unboundedly complex world that your customers will live in. They will be constantly being talked to, not just by other customers or by their uh, competitors, but by their competitors' products trying to talk to you, by, by the whole world is begging for their attention. So in this attention economy of complexity that's overwhelming, how could you get a signal through that noise? And so I do think it is both a power and a curse. You know, this, uh, the rise of these megatrends means we're going to have more data. We're going to be swimming in data. Mm -hmm. um, and so will your customer. But they're going to want someone they can trust and that actually treats their attention as precious. Because I think the commodity or the, or, the, or the real value is in that attention. So if you treat your customer with attention, that's wonderful. Now, how are you going to do that? Mm -hmm. um, I think what you just said is important. These megatrends could help. Like, Machine learning could actually help you spend more time with your customers and scale, you know, at a larger scale and give them a more intimate experience than ever before. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to design it that way. You have to think about those things and you have, to, you have to be a real sort of what I would think of as a design scientist. You have to learn from the data and really understand it, but then you have to look at how you can keep separation, you know, from the competitors. Can, can I just throw some things at you? Yeah, you bet. In, in my book, I'm actually looking at how AI and other big technologies yeah. are cha changing customer relations. Hmm. And I, I described four uh, investment axes that I think yeah. are important for companies. I'd like to have your opinion on those four. Yeah, definitely. So first one is data leverage. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. AI needs a huge amount of data to be yeah. effective. Mm -hmm. um, I still see that as a huge problem for many corporations that either they don't have data yeah. Or they have it, but they don't have a clue what to do with it. Yeah. And they don't leverage it in a way that yeah. like uh, yeah. companies like Priceline or Google or the big technology companies do. Yeah. So creating that data leverage, I think, is a, yeah. an, an immense important thing. So let's take that, data leverage. So I think what's been happening is suddenly people are putting, putting a sensor on things and an internet connection, and they're suddenly getting flooded with information. Yeah. And I remember seeing this happen. Um, a, a, a customer that I worked with, uh, probably puts about 40 million things in people's homes. Okay. So they're a pretty good you know, footprint, and they were gonna put their first connected thing in. Now their connected thing, for them to actually maintain it, to come in and service it, actually had sensors already. They just weren't connected to the internet. Okay. Um, they knew when you were, when you were around, because they had a proximity sensor, they actually had a, a noise sen a vibration sensor because you need to fix the motor in it. Yeah. They had a lot of things. And we said, well, maybe you should connect all that stuff not just you know, hitting, hitting on off or whatever, but connect it all. And they're like, well, it's so much work to actually wire up that other stuff. We'll leave that for the maintenance people. Imagine um, that these guys would have said that. Yeah, right, that would be yeah. crazy. Um, and so they put the plumbing in place. And I think a lot of companies are basically at that stage. They're putting plumbing in place. They're going, oh, I guess we've got, a, we've got an IoT thing. You know, We're gonna get a lot of data out of this. Yes, however, if you don't really treat it as precious, mm -hmm and you don't know what you're gonna do with it. Um, it's just plumbing. And it's just gonna be another hose pumping in more stuff. I, I, so I think that's one problem. Now, um, so you get people who are just spending time on plumbing, mm -hmm. and it's all negative, right? So they have to have servers, oh crap, now I need to have servers. Um, I never had that before, the physical product. 
I've got to protect privacy, but not just protect their credit card. I need to protect like nobody can break into their house. Oh my gosh, wait. So there's higher risk. There's more cost. The bill of material has to show like a service fee for, 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 for having servers running every, so it's, so it's all negative and I haven't seen any business value yet. But what happened with this one company is about two years later, they started digging through the information and they started seeing these weird patterns coming up in certain regions of the country and other patterns and others. And they started seeing things that were like they had never heard of before. And so part of it was they had to become curious and they had to be curious with the data. The other part was they, they started with using very trivial and silly data visualization. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm gonna look at charts and graphs, you know, and yeah. every time a new data thing came in, it was a big hassle, you know, and they, oh, how do I consume this new data? Now companies are starting to get smart, not a lot of them, but they're starting to get smart about this idea that, wait a second, we need to actually beg for more data. Mm-hmm. We need to like welcome it with open arms. We need to have systems that actually, that, that, that flourish in adding new data. Um, and so the, those companies are getting smart because they're learning how to leverage it. And the way they're doing that is you can't really, humans, even with the best data visualization, can't find the pattern in all that noise. And that's where AI comes in. Because AI can basically chew it. And what you're really doing is the AI, the machine learning artificial intelligence has gotten simpler and simpler from a code standpoint. Mm-hmm. Now you don't change the code much. What you do is you change the training data. And that's where the IoT comes in. Mm-hmm. You've got rich training data. The last point I'd make on this is your data is not that interesting. Mm-hmm. So if your customer, if you're, if you're, if you're ex- expecting your customer experience to change just because you've collected a lot of data from your products or from your services, you're not going to find a big aha. Okay. You might find a few, but you know some really simple ones. What's really interesting is your data merged with other data. It's the context of how weather patterns are affecting your customer's experience. It's the context about other things. And so it's, it's more about getting more facile and yeah. literate about layering and fusing and yeah. So imagine we were sitting here mm-hmm. and you put a blindfold on me. And um, when you took the blindfold off, um, well, oh wait, the other thing you did is you locked my head in this position. So I couldn't move my head, okay? Sounds silly. And you put a blindfold on me and then you take the blindfold off and there's a beautiful glass of wine right here. Mm-hmm. It's like shimmering, it's beautiful. And, and, and you know, you ask me to tell you about the wine and I can tell you a lot about this glass is very reflective. I can see the reflection in the table, all this stuff. The thing is, it's an optical illusion. Like you just put like a really great optical illusion there, but because I can't move my head, I can't get any other data input. I can't touch it. That's another data input. I can't pick it up. You could totally fool me into thinking that's a glass of wine. And you've seen optical illusions. You move your head a little bit and they collapse. And that's because you get a different data feed or you go to try to pick it up and one arm goes through another. So this is exactly what's happening. People have only one piece of data or stream and it's like they're locked in. And we need the richness. And the reason is you want to be able to trust your assertions about this stuff. You don't want to be fooled. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to be fooled by information. Fantastic. So this is a huge thing. It's It's so important. And so first I would hire up and coming machine learning interns. Okay. And I would say, I want you to just start looking at all the information. Just, just start playing with it. Yeah. Get like, have fun with the information and see what weird, strange bedfellows you might want to have a partnership with. So you never, as a thermostat company, you would never say I'm going to partner with, uh, with the company that makes the washer or the dryer or the, or the um, oven. Yeah. Because they're two different industries. These people make appliances. I make home 
automation things. But when they're connected and they're five feet away, well, they're actually part of the ecosystem. You know, if you could tell me that there's a, a huge party going on because you're cooking a whole bunch of stuff, I might be able to do something about managing that heat better. So strange bedfellows, hire a young intern. And when I say young, I mean young in the mind. Because um, I've seen some wonderful people go back to school as data analysts and become machine learning analysts. The reason I say hire somebody that's coming out of a good PhD program or a good, a good undergrad program in machine learning particularly, and just throw them at it as an intern, is that the field of machine learning is so rapidly changing that you can't find people with 10 years experience. You know, because it's just changing so fast. So get somebody and say, I, like, like, let's raise you on my business, but you're gonna be hungry about data. And that's what machine learning people, unlike data analysts of old, they're desperately hungry for data because they understand this paradox. Yeah. Um, the whole world of new customer interfaces that are making the life effortless. And I'm thinking mm. about Google Homes. Ah, like Alexa, conversational interfaces. Conversational yep. interfaces, mm -hmm. bots. Um, there's so many new tools yeah. Yeah. where as a customer, you, you don't even have to push a button anymore to, yeah. to buy something. How do, how do you see the evolution of that? Well, that's a huge... Uh, what's been nice is I think people have talked about that for a long time, decades. Yeah. What's happened is Alexa really what became the, the most popular IOT device on the planet, yeah. pretty, pretty much. And because uh, you could just, and, it, and it, the, they were very clever though. And this is the other thing I'd like to say. Don't just rush in and make a bot. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I recently was at a bot conference and, and the reality is these bots are really just a bad decision tree mm -hmm. that you decided to like automate. Yeah. And, um, and people know it and it feels heartless and cold and or it gets bad training data like Microsoft's bot and suddenly goes right off the deep end, yeah. So some of the best ones, people actually write kind of almost a, a character architecture. You know, there's a really, really good bot that's, that's a weather bot in New York and it's basically a Brooklyn hipster cat. Okay. <laughs> and it sort of acts like a Brooklyn hipster cat. It's got a personality that, re that resonates with people. It doesn't try to answer every question. It's okay. like, what, what could a hipster cat in Brooklyn answer about the weather? Right. You know, okay. and it's, and it, but it's got, and it's got this, it's almost like when you see an episode of, um, of a movie or like a Star Trek or something, you know, they have a character architecture. Yeah. This person would never do that. Right. This person always does this. Yeah. You know, think of Game of Thrones or, or Star Trek, right? Yeah. And by having that architecture and saying, let's actually say, what is the personality we want? And let's make sure we don't try to do stuff we can't do. You'll notice Alexa, mm -hmm. I think secretly is designed after a dog. I do think so. So, so think of it. You go, Alexa, and, and the little LED swivels around and looks at you. Yeah. And if your wife says Alexa, it goes, huh? <laughs> Just like a dog. Now we co-evolved with dogs mm -hmm. for tens of thousands of years. So we know how to play with dogs. It's a different kind of intelligence. Mm -hmm. Different kind of communication. It's a different, yeah. right? It has like a hundred commands. Mm -hmm. You can teach it some new things. And in fact, Alexa calls them skills. So Alexa can learn new skills, okay. like order me an Uber yeah. or a pizza. Um, I just downloaded a skill this morning that um, is called a Furbo skill. And what it is, is um, I have a little, um, I'm babysitting a, a puppy. Mm -hmm. And I can basically say, Alexa, throw throw the puppy a treat. And it's a little camera with a robot arm that tosses treats for the dog when you're not at home. So it's a goofy thing, but it basically makes a little noise, 
it gabs their attention. My voice comes out of the, the camera. Yeah. And so the puppy sits when I say sit and I toss it. And it's kind of a weird thing. So, so have a personality, design that, and then be sure you don't try to do things you can't do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also about handoff. You know, how do you hand that off smoothly to a real human? Yeah. So there's a wonderful um, example of this, G Georgia Tech. Um, uh, there was a professor there. Jill Watson. Jill Watson, yeah. And the professor, it's a wonderful story. Tell me about the story well, from your perspective. What, what I've heard is that the, um, the uh, professor and the teacher assistants, mm. they had so many questions that they yeah. couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. It was like an online yeah. class. Yeah. Online class that exploded in popularity. Yeah. And uh, they created a bot to answer the basic questions yeah. and didn't tell the yes. students. Yeah. And she was just called Jill. Jill. Yeah. Jill Watson was her name. So here's the thing, though. I thought that was brilliant. It was brilliant. So, so um, and I met um, the, the researcher, um, and he, recently, he gave a talk here last year uh, in San Francisco. And um, here's the funny thing. So when they created Jill, and it was, a, it was a class on computer programming, computer stuff, but it had exploded, and they took what they normally charge for a full degree, and they said, look, a lot of people don't even go back for a master's degree because they can't afford it because of $30,000, $40,000, they said, could we actually in Georgia Tech have an online program and only $8,000, but give you a full Georgia Tech degree? Mm -hmm. So it was part of that initiative, which was a great idea. Could we get a bunch of people that never could have afforded 30 or 20? It wasn't about, they weren't going to go to Georgia Tech. Then he said, let's build this little Jill thing. And, um, but what they did was, it was the TAs are constantly asked questions, and a lot of the questions are because you didn't read the thing, you weren't paying attention in class, dumb questions. Um, but it stopped people from getting through the course. Mm -hmm. When you could do that with 30 people, it wasn't a big deal. When it was 30,000 people or 10,000 people online from all over the world, it was awesome. problematic. But when, it, when they started it, actually, Jill got terrible answers. She had terrible answers. So, so what they did was they set her up in a sandbox. And they had the real TAs answering questions. And they had Jill answering questions. And when Jill got to the point of answering about 95% of the real TAs, they just introduced her as a new TA. So they, they did this process, and your, your, your companies are going to want to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. How do we set up a quick like sandbox pilot? How do we wait until it gets over a threshold? Yeah. Um, the other thing was, by the end of the class, people were asking Jill out on a date. <laughs> they actually voted her most, uh, most popular TA, the students. Really? Yes. Because and, she was always fast. And a few near the end said, I wonder if Jill is a robot. And what was happening was Jill was answering too quickly. So they put delays in the responses so that it seemed like it was a real TA that had other classes. And that actually made, made that go. But they kind of, some students were like, I wonder if she's really a robot. I wish they had taught us this in this class. Mm -hmm. So then in the fall, they created multiple Jills and they named them all different names and they also named all the real TAs different names so you couldn't find them. Okay. So they basically anonymized it. But what, what the teacher said was, I spend more time now with really deep, fun, interesting conversations with 10,000 people than I've ever been able to spend with 30 because I'm not spending all my time and my TAs aren't spending all my time on that other stuff. Mm -hmm. That's the huge thing. Here at Autodesk, we've been doing a Watson pilot with our support organization okay. and it's consumed a huge corpus of support information over decades for doing CAD, you know, computer-aided design stuff. And we're already seeing that it's more responsive and we're able to actually help a lot more people and then we can really spend time on the interesting hard problems where we learn more too. That, that's actually a topic that, I, that mm. I try to touch and I call it intelligence augmented. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Companies need to invest in and make sure that, you know, 
AI helps the people inside of the company perform yeah. faster, better, yeah. and so on and so on. So that I think that's, that's it, it fits exactly, exactly with what, that. What, what you just I completely said. right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and even in consumer products, um, we've been working on something here at Autodesk that's that's around generative design, and it's this idea of could we actually do creativity that's augmented. Ooh, that's a little scary because yeah. it's like a white collar protected. Well, humans are creative. Don't touch that, Don't touch that one. But it turns out um, intelligences are creative. Dogs are creative. Mm -hmm. If you ever watch a dog, they play. They learn yeah, by playing. Right. You know, and you learn by playing with them. Yeah. You know, uh, you can learn a lot about leadership by getting a dog. Mm -hmm. You know, and and having a few. Uh, and so. Think of it as a different intelligence on your team. Mm -hmm. You're gonna raise a few interns. Some of them will be humans. Some of them will be machine learners. Yeah. But I think the other part is from, a, from even a future of work standpoint, mm -hmm. you've gotta start thinking of all your employees and all your customers as not users, but as learners. That means they can shift and change. Okay. So think of uh, one example, Netflix. Mm -hmm. Netflix is N equals one. In other words, everybody's playlist is different. Yeah. And they don't just assume that you like buddy-buddy comedies and will never show you anything else. Mm -hmm. Let's just make it easier for you to find all the buddy-buddy comedies. No. What happens is, in the side, they go, you know, you kind of like that buddy-buddy comedy. Here's a documentary about friendship. Mm -hmm. Here's a doc, you know. And so it slowly moves you. It builds. And it's a little, it's a little uncomfortable because you're like, I think I'll click on that. You know, you're like, maybe nobody will see me click on this. I'm going to watch this. But it builds your viewership mm -hmm. so that you're actually hungry and you're learning all the time, which feels good. You know, I just saw a new documentary, I just watched a new thing. It's great for Netflix, obviously, because it means that we've entered the, it's like the golden era of writers and directors and, and yeah. storytelling, never before. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is they, they make a point of treating the users as developmental learners. So how do we treat the people inside of your company as a learner? Mm -hmm. And you've got some machine learners and some human learners, yeah. and they're gonna get good or bad training data. They're going to go out on a bender this weekend or they're going to have been at a fraternity event or something and that's not a great training data set maybe or it might be a great training data set for like social interaction or something. Mm -hmm. But we've got to think of it that way. Um, they're not going to take our jobs but they are going to help us kind of play jazz, you know, right. play and improvise and learn and it could stretch our brains a lot more too, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, fantastic. Last topic that yeah. I want to try on you. So the last thing I wanted to, to uh, throw at you is um, I, I created this, this theory that um, companies are, are being drawn to big digital commodity magnets. Oh. And hmm. uh, I mean like for instance Google or Amazon, they have now Google Home Alexa. I order an insurance product and um, The insurance actually, product disappears inside of, you thought you got it from Amazon. I got it from I trust uh. Amazon. I am not talking with the insurer anymore. Uh, so what actually happens hmm. is that you have a top layer of top brands, which are the digital superhero yeah. companies, and all the other products are like playing on a B level. So you have a new uh, hierarchy in brands. And I think it's a It's like decommod it's it's de uh, it's a disintermediating right. they're cutting you. Off. Yeah, they're cutting off your use your customer experience. Exactly. So uh, I, I think this is a big like uh, very strange situation for companies because yeah. There's no other choice than to work together with the Amazons and the Facebooks. Yeah. And so on. Well, they give you channel, they give you access. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't take that, you shoot yourself in the foot. On the other hmm. hand, you have to fight for your own identity yeah. and your own power and your own relationship yeah. with the customer. And it's yeah. an end game. I think you need to It's do totally both. an end game. So so yeah, how do you how do you play with these yeah. big groups? And how do you delight customers 
and 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 get seen as as within that when you're getting hidden right. in some ways. Yeah. I don't know if I've got great answers for that. I do think that this is where I would say design thinking and design science are probably going to be more important than ever. Okay. It's not minimum viable product anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a dumb terminology anyway, because you know, viable going to the moon is different than viable building a shopping cart or something. Um, and most people focus on um, uh, shippable, but not delightful. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not viable if it's not delightful. It's not if it doesn't actually make you enjoy the experience and 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 telegraph the personality of the company. Mm -hmm. And and you know, people say a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room, right? And so how does your brand come through? Yeah when you're being disintermediated by a Google or an Amazon. I do think it's about playing, it's the yes and. So Alexa has skills mm -hmm. and you can design the skill. And when you design that little bit of API, you're embedding your brand into that experience that is gonna show up on Alexa. Mm -hmm. Now they'll just disintermediate you if you just Google it or just go on Amazon and search it. But if you actually play with them, if you build a little API which helps their ecosystem and helps them look better, and then you build a little bit of delight into that, so it's a little surprising, it's a little playful, it, it, it ends up exposing what you really want to expose, I think you have an unfair advantage. Mm -hmm. So, but you also, the best way is, is give Amazon information they could never get another way too, right? You know something, you have this only core, all by, all by yourself as an organization, you have information that is unique. Mm -hmm. In yourself. If you're an insurance company, you know crazy things. You've got actuarial tables that tell you amazing things. How could you play back? So it's not a one-way street. You know, what would be the thing that you could almost get Amazon so excited about that they get addicted to your information the same way that you're needing to be part of that? And that's the play, right? But it's, but it's got to be yes and. Um, you know, I think studying and I mean this seriously, business leaders should probably take classes from real theater programs on improvisation. And I mean that seriously, like the theatrical art of improv, which teaches you, and we did this at Maya, every single Mayan during our retreat, we have, gave them an opportunity to learn from real theater teachers about improvisation. How do you build on other people's ideas? How do you not say but? How do you like relax yourselves a little, not protect your core? Yeah. Well, these things can be embedded in your brand too. If your brand comes off as being more Tina Fey or more Wynton Marcellus or more Jimmy Fallon, you know, playful and, and build on people's ideas, um, I think you've got an opportunity to really differentiate. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that sounds weird because it's a soft skill, but I actually think it's probably gonna be the new, one of the new hard skills. Soft skills, I think, are going to become more important than ever before. It I is. think the more digital the world becomes, the more important it's going to become. become certainly, become, yeah. yeah, I think so too. Well, fantastic. Maybe yeah, it was a pleasure. Stephen, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. The great answers, I enjoyed. That yeah, time. well, thanks for coming and visiting. Of course. Excellent.